<laughs> Hello, kitties. It's your old pal, John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper. And tonight, I'd like to introduce all of you creeps to the Crypt Keeper's podcast, hosted by Spooky Bruce and Horror Ryan. But be careful what you ask for. You may get it. <laughs> okay, well, I'm ready to get started whenever you are. I'm down. I don't know why I'm talking like a robot. I put the beats in my own script. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> are you ready? Yep. All right. Hello, boils, ghouls, and non-binary fiends. This is the Crypt Keepers. I'm one of the hosts, Spooky Bruce. Joining me as always is the man who I actually wrote a note here to myself. Uh, insert a library pun. And I forgot to do it. <laughs> or Ryan. Hello. <laughs> Thank the you man for that will, wonderful intro. The man who will check your vibrations. Goddamn right. <laughs> Good vibration. Uh, anyway, Ryan, tell yes. everyone what kind of show this is. This is the Crypt Keepers. A podcast where we analyze episodes of the horror anthology series Tales from the Crypt and the EC comics that inspired them. This week, we're looking at the ep uh, episode 10 of season four, Maniac at Large, based on a story from Crime Suspense Stories, number 27. Ooh. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm, I'm all right. Yeah. School started this week. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah. Boo. Yeah. yeah I'm already overwhelmed. Already? Yeah. Oh, oh already. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to happen. Um. We are in the middle of a heat wave. Oh, God. We are. In, in the area that we live in. Yeah. This whole week has been apocalyptic. I thought, well, the heat warning was from uh, from noon today uh, to okay. uh, sometime tomorrow. Right. And I thought, I can go cut the grass in the morning and mm -hmm. it'll be okay. So I went and cut my front yard this morning. Yes. And I walked in the house and it was like someone had dumped a bucket of water on me. Really? Yes. Yeah. Down to my underwear. My underwear soaked. It was Oof. gross. <laughs> Yikesies. You know when you get really sweaty and you have to kind of like painfully peel your clothes oh, off? Yeah. Of them? Yeah. That's what oh, it was dude. like. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't, doesn't get easier when you get older. And I, I text Grace and I was like, I'm done cutting grass forever. You, you need to hire someone. I'm retired. I'm done. Yeah. I'm, I'm done with this shit. Yep. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> um, I do want to say a very uh, special shout out. Oh, yeah. It, uh, well, now it's passed. It's passed. But the wonderful Natalie had a birthday. Had a birthday. Yeah. So I want to wish you a happy birthday. She's 29 again. Yes. Yeah. At 29. And as a gift, we went to the uh, Indianapolis Horror Hound Convention. Yeah. And uh, she got to meet one of her favorites, Robert England. Oh, yeah. Got a really cool picture uh, with him. And we met, let's see. It's funny because. <laughs> Me and Natalie both have wildly, like, even though we both love the same movies that we show each other, mm -hmm. they are different styles. Right. Um, so I got, I got my copy of American Werewolf in London signed uh, by Griffin Dune and um, David, I can't remember his last name. Uh, yeah, I don't, I'll look it up real quick, but go ahead. Basically who played David and Jack. Right, yeah. Uh, in uh, Werewolf in London. I got to meet both of them. Super nice. Um, but Natalie really wanted to meet the uh, actresses from Terrifier. Oh, yeah. Ter Terrifier yeah. 2. Yeah. And so uh, it was really funny because I wore a shirt that I've never, uh, that I just recently purchased. Was uh, It has Pearl mm -hmm. on the front. And I was, it, it, I'm 38, so yeah. I'm not young. But this is like a really trendy <laughs> shirt. Yeah. Like 
Pearl's face takes up 97% of the whole shirt. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm kind of, I don't know. This is weird. I felt a little weird. Like I was the old man going, hello, young people. (laughs) But I was like, fuck it. I love the movie. Pearl is one of my favorite movies. It's Mm -hmm. easily in my top 10 all time. Fuck it. I'm going to wear it. Both actresses from Terrifier were like, that's a dope shirt. Mia Goth is an amazing actress. That's awesome. And I'm like, oh, cool. That's awesome. Really cool. Everyone was really nice. Um, I'm trying to remember her name. Lauren Lavera, I think, is yeah. the actress from Terrifier mm-hmm. 2. Yeah. Uh, she was a sweetheart. She was yeah. really awesome. Talked to her a She's little bit. She's a good bit. follow on Twitter. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I don't really... Just like contest and sharing the um, the podcast yeah. is really all that I yeah. use Twitter for. So <laughs> Or X. X. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. I'm dead naming it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we had a wonderful time. Uh, yeah. She had a great birthday. I got her a whole bunch of killer clowns from outer space stuff. Um. At the convention, they had uh, Mask Fest. Hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which was like a side thing. Yeah. uh, Next to it. Same building. Mm -hmm. But um, it was the first time that I've been to something that had professional artists Mm -hmm. that have been in movies. Yeah. Showing their wares. Oh, that's cool. uh, Mixed in with like, you know, people that are up and coming and and stuff. And the talent is incredible. Yeah. Um, and I saw a mask that I was like, I fucking want that. <laughs> there was one of uh, Nosferatu, and I think it was $500. Ooh, yeah. I'm scared to even touch anything I, like that. Ex- oh, yeah. yeah. I know that if I did buy it, it would immediately go in a glass case. Yeah. And I would never wear it <laughs> at all. Uh, there was one that, there's one guy, I can't remember his name, but uh, he had different versions of Freddy Krueger specific to the movie. That's cool. He's like, oh, here's here's uh you know the Freddy mask from two, here's yeah. the Freddy mask from four, yeah. And I'm like, I always, I I never knew, I knew they all looked different, but I just never knew that someone would go so hard as to make individual movie yeah. masks. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, I have a question for you. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I got in a conversation with a guy at the convention because okay. we were looking at the mask, and yeah. We were looking at the Nightmare on Elm Street mask. Mm-hmm. What is your opinion on Wes Craven's new nightmare? You know, that was actually the first uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie I saw. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, but it has been, let's see, what year that I graduated from high school? It's been that long. So, it's okay. been since the 90s since I've seen it. But I, I um, so I really don't know how I feel about it now. I would suggest you watch it. Okay. Um, because, I, like you, I, it was one of the first Nightmare movies I watched. Yeah. And I liked it because Freddie, I think he looks amazing mm-hmm. with the bone claws and he got the trench coat. Like, he just looks more demonic. And I, I like that um, meta storyline going on where yes. they, they have created him through their you know, fears or whatever, yeah, their right. belief, whatever. Yeah. Now, I heard an interesting, I'll bring this up. Okay. Because. Uh, I read something that I think Heather Lankenkamp, mm-hmm. um, who plays Nancy, yeah. in the, you know, she's also in, she's New Nightmare. Yeah. She technically mm-hmm. plays herself. Yeah. She said, I think in an interview, that if the if you watch the movie with the idea that that Freddy Krueger is not Freddy Krueger, yeah. it's a demon yeah. trying to possess people, mm-hmm. but using her fears yeah. of being in the Nightmare on Elm Street yeah. series. Yeah. And so it takes the form of Freddy. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. There's this um, concept from the paranormal world called a tulpa. It actually comes from like Tibetan religion mm-hmm. where your belief in something will create that thing. Really? And so that's often used as a, um, a catch-all in the paranormal world. Me, me and my, my son, Shane, we joke about it. We call it the unified tulpa theory where everyone's like, oh, it's a tulpa, that UFO. 
it's a tulpa because people believe in ufos now they're right. seeing a ufo or people believe in bigfoot so now they're seeing a bigfoot that was created from their belief or right. whatever yeah and actually the x-files played um uh, played on that a couple times too oh cool yeah and i'm i really like that idea yeah. of watching something mm-hmm. with a different or yeah, solidified it's, it's belief not, bef- like before the movie tells you mm-hmm. that is that's that's a really interesting idea and she's right because that's that's not freddy krueger right yeah because freddy, freddy krueger Kruger doesn't exist cre- yeah fictional being because robert england yeah. is robert england yeah yeah exactly and yeah. so it makes total sense and I've heard the the only other time I've heard of this, and I want to ask our viewers if there's uh, an instance, because mm-hmm. I'm so fascinated by this. If there's a movie that we should watch, but have an idea before mm. we watch it, that would make it better. Oh, I have a movie like that. The it's only on Shutter. It's called The Ranger. The Ranger. Yes, it's a slasher film. Okay, but go into it with the idea that it's a werewolf movie. And I'm will, writing it down as while I'm silent. I will f- die on this hill. I've been dying on this hill for four years now. It's a werewolf movie. It's, it's on not, Shutter. Yeah, it's not a slasher film. It's a werewolf. It's movie. a werewolf movie. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, uh, the only other time was uh, watch the original. What is it? Um, uh, Grease Lightning. What, what's that? Grease. Grease. Yeah. Watch Grease. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. Yeah. But know that it's inside the dying mind of the girl. Yeah, yeah. Because she's di- she's uh, drowning, so yes. she's making these. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's some theory where basically she's dead. Yeah, there's a lot of theories like that. Yeah, that go around. Oh, you know, I know another movie that kind of plays on that idea of like our belief created something. Right. The Empty Man. The Empty Man. Yeah. What's that? So I would highly recommend just going. I think it's on HBO Max. Okay. Just go find it. Don't watch a preview. What's it called again? The Empty Man. The Empty Man. Yeah. It is. It's a long haul movie. Okay. Like, it's seriously, it is almost three hours long. And even by the end of it, you're like, I don't feel like this is all of it. Oh, There's shit. more here. Oh. Right. But um, when it came out 2018, 2019, mm-hmm. they advertised it like a teen slasher film. It oh. is not whatsoever. Oh, it is okay. this like it is this like very mature, very dark, and very like methodical kind of like rumination on like what does it mean to be alive and a person and like re- oh shit, you're, if you are real or not. Oh damn! Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's excellent. <laughs> the furthest thing from a from a team yeah, slasher. The furthest thing from a team slasher. And I've heard that you know um, recently there was this movie called Cobweb that came out. Did you hear about Cobweb? No. The reason you did not hear about Cobweb, which has uh, Lizzie Kaplan and Anthony Starr. Anthony Starr plays a Homelander. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. The reason you did not hear about this movie is because it came out the same weekend as Oppenheimer and Barbie. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's already on VOD, and people are talking about this is excellent. Oh. I, 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 well, I've seen, like, either, hey, this is okay, or it's excellent. I haven't seen anyone give it a bad review yet. Oh, okay. And they sold it as a generic ghost story in the, tra- in the trailers, right. and people are like, no, this is like a dark, cosmic horror Lovecraftian movie. <laughs> yeah those are two different things <laughs> two very different things yeah um yeah before we move on the only thing that i i, mm-hmm. I like i said listeners if there's some movie that you think we should we watch, are just hitting our have, microphones over and over again. what we both hit our microphones just now we did yes. oh i didn't think i did but if you know of a movie that we should uh, watch but with a preconceived yeah. notion mm-hmm. please let us know but um one movie that i think should have been marketed better yeah is slither 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I never watched it. I don't know. Was it you? We watched it back in like 2019. No, 2020, me and you and Grace and Natalie watched okay. it. Yeah. So I remember that you were like, hey, you mm-hmm. like the Sam Raimi movies, that style. Yeah. You should watch Slither. Yeah. And I remember being like, I remember it on the video shelf. I remember the poster. Mm-hmm. I love Elizabeth Banks. But other than yeah. that, eh, not into it. And you're like, no, watch it. <laughs> 20 minutes in, I'm like, this movie fucks. This is awesome. This is one of the best movies of that era that no one talks about. Yeah, it, it was funny because um, I remember someone talking about that uh, in like some magazine or something. It's like and talking about how we want different horror movies. We want things that aren't just the, like a, a sequel or a rehash right. or a remake or these like teen slasher films. And then Slither came out and no one went to see it. Right. So, you know, what for horror fans, that was your own fault. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I don't like this idea that certain eras of horror mm-hmm. don't exist. Yeah. Like, yes, some movies, some CGI from mm-hmm. the 90s movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, d- does not age well. Well, you know what? A whole bunch of political things and things <laughs> that people said in the 60s and 70s. They don't age well. They either. don't age well no, either. No. So you have to look at them in the context that yeah. they're made. Yeah. There's excellent 40s, 50s, 60s, mm-hmm. 70s, 80s, oh, 90s, 2000s yeah. horror. Mm-hmm. Just find your favorites. My yeah. personal favorites are, you know, 40s, 70s British horror, 80s, and then, you know. Yeah, one of my favorite like eras is the 70s. Right. I feel like that's when uh, horror really came into its own. Right. And kind of, um, uh, I, I know you like them, but really escaped that like gothic horror thing. And right. Became a, be, the horror movies became their own thing. I, I was talking to Natalie about this. We could just do a whole podcast we about could. this. <laughs> we, could. We, we were watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre because mm-hmm. uh, that was the events of the movie take place on Nat, Natalie's birthday. Yes. Uh-huh. So as a fun thing, we were like, let's watch mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw. Which that game came out, by the way. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I played, you I played it a bit, but I've already gone back to Diablo 4. Uh, yeah. I haven't played Diablo in a few days. I need to get on that yeah. for sure. But um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> uh, you went back and watched movies. Oh, the Texas, Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. So we were watching and I was like, you know what's interesting? And I talked to a guy at the convention. Mm-hmm. I need to remember names like, so I can give these people <laughs> props. Um, but uh, there was one guy at a booth that had nothing but Hammer and old monster magazines. Mm-hmm. Like I was awesome. in heaven. I, I wanted to buy fucking everything, dude. <laughs> and so um, we were talking about Hammer and we're talking about how much we love it and he was and i was like well it's really kind of interesting in the 70s american filmmaking went almost like guttural yeah like too real yeah but it, i think I, I, um i think that had a lot to do with uh the vietnam war yes and it had a lot to do with um americans grappling with uh the loss of faith in the church and things like that and serial killers and you know serial killers became a big thing in the 70s that's when you know they really came into like popular consciousness Mm -hmm. um but yeah i think american horror horror films did really become more guttural right yeah and it was interesting because we mentioned hammer we're like hammer is this classic gothic and Mm -hmm. and he's mentioned he's like well that's because they're a few decades behind yeah because I didn't know this, but he was like, they basically were a few decades behind America because America was doing gothic horror with Universal Monsters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're behind. Yeah. He's like, but if you look at horror movies from the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. they're if, from Britain, yeah. they're guttural. Yeah. Just because they were 
a few decades behind the 70s mm-hmm. in America. Mm-hmm. And so I don't really know a lot of that era of like, uh, I mean, I'm trying to think. When I think 80s British horror, the first thing I think of is um, American World of London. Yeah. But that, I consider that, that almost like an American, American that is an American production. Film. Yeah. Um, but when I think of it, I think of uh, the vampire motorcycle. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? <laughs> yes. It's amazing. That. Yeah. That's, a, that's, a, uh, that's my gold star pick of the week. Uh, the, the, I think it's the vampire motorcycle. Okay. And it's about a motorcycle. Yeah. That's it's a vampire. vampire. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Yeah. So this week, uh, the kids were out of school. Yes. Because of a big foo bar <laughs> with the I'm not, I'm not using that right, but but a big um fuck up with the busing system here. Yep. And so kids were out of school, and so Tristan and I had been less like talking, him being my youngest, and uh, he was I don't know how we got on it, but um. Oh no, we'd seen um. We we had watched Pee Wee's Big Adventure. He had never seen it. Great flick. Great flick. R.I.P. Paul Rubens. Paul, yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, he was like, "Well, that was weird." That was his reaction to it. <laughs> and I saw so, I was talking about how like how it was a big influential movie on just like the culture at the time, whatever. Um, and I was like, and they used Large Marge was an inspiration for a monster in the Evil Dead. And he's like, "Well, what's the Evil Dead?" You're like, like, well, well, so uh, uh, on afternoon last week, we watched the evil dead Two and army of darkness. Yes. And his reaction afterwards were like, I don't know if those are the best movies I've ever seen or the worst movies I've ever seen. I was like, you're right. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's correct. (laughs) He, but absolutely loved them. He got, he gets it. At first he was like, what, what, what is the, what is this? And then they just got into it and right. was laughing his ass off. Yeah. Exactly. That's the fun. <laughs> yeah. That's the fun of it. Yeah. Um, also I watched this movie called of unknown origin. Have you ever heard of this? <laughs> no. What's the origin? Uh, no one knows. Huh. Uh, yeah. No one's heard of this movie. <laughs> uh, it is a pre RoboCop Peter Weller. Okay. And, uh, who is an architect? I think he's an architect or he's a businessman or something. It doesn't like, it wasn't quite (laughs) queer. Jesus Christ. Clear. It wasn't quite clear what he does. Uh, I just know he's an asshole. Maybe racist. Oh, maybe thinks about cheating on his wife, but, um, his wife and her son or their son go away for the weekend. Right. While he's trying to close this business deal. And he finds out there's a giant rat in his apartment. (laughs) And so him and this rat go to war with each other. (laughs) <laughs> and uh there's a reason this movie is a little known today and <laughs> yeah yeah it was uh it wasn't great it was fun just to watch peter weller having to act without anyone around and him just losing his mind right he tries to fight this rat so is this like a comedy no it is not it is a straight horror film what the fuck yeah um it was directed by someone famous too um uh hang on a second why it's called of unknown origin. I have absolutely no idea. Um, it's actually based on a novel. I can't like, it, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Oh, uh, George P. Cosmo, Cosmatis, who you will know as the director of such great films as, uh, Rambo first blood Two, good one. Cobra Leviathan, <laughs> uh, tombstone, that okay yeah, that's yeah. one of the best western that's probably the best, the western, best ever western ever made, ever yeah. made. yeah yeah damn <laughs> the man's a maniac but, yeah um but yeah we watched that and i was like eh okay <laughs> <laughs> and i watched something else too and it left a huge impression on me 
because I forgot what it was. I was going to bring it up, but I forgot what it was. What? Uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Just, yeah, that's how, that's how much of an impression it made on me. Um, <laughs> but I also, over the past week, listened to the audiobook for uh, Pet Cemetery. Ooh. Holy shit. I never shit. tried audiobooks. How was that? It, well, this one was narrated by Michael C. Hall, the guy who played Dexter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Oh, cool. Absolutely amazing. Um, although when he does uh, Judd Crandall, the guy that lives across the street, the right. old man, uh, played by Fred Gwynn and uh, John Lithgow in, in the movies, right. uh, he sounds just like Mayor Quimby from The Simpsons. Mayor Quimby. Yeah, Mayor Quimby. Uh, but man, it is excellent. Uh, not just that, it is one of the best books for lack of a better term that I've ever read. Right. Um, absolutely amazing. And it has made me hate the movies. Oh, I wasn't. A, I was never a big fan, but I was like, "There is no way you can condense that book into a two-hour movie. It has to be a miniseries, right? Or uh, like a limited TV series." Well, we were talking about seasons. before we hit record that, like, uh, I love Salem's Lot. Yeah, and it's a miniseries. There's no yeah. way you can make that into a movie. No, no way. No, it is. It, but you know what? It is absolutely one of the most depressing things I've ever read or listened to. Right. It is. Like, of course, you know the story. Mm-hmm. I think everyone knows the story. This guy's kid dies, and he buries him in this pet cemetery, and he comes back to life along with their cat. They have a great time. Earlier. Um, and um, this book is just steeped in death from almost the first page. Oh, okay. And it is, there is nothing absolutely reassuring about it. Right about this, this constantly thinking and talking about death, and it really hammers home that that famous line: "Death sometimes death is better." Right. It really, really hammers it home. It just hits you over the head with it. Damn. And I was like, there was a um, there was a time I was like depressed for the rest of the day after listening to it for a while. <laughs> so you think I should listen to it? I think everyone should listen to it. It's amazing, <laughs> absolutely amazing. And Michael C. Hall does a good job. Michael C. Hall. What's funny, too, is that, that there are points where there are animals making animal noises. Yes. And he does those animal noises. <laughs> <and> it's really <laughs> funny. It's <laughs> weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we've been at this for a half hour now. I hope you all enjoy this. I hope you all enjoy this. <laughs> Let's talk about the episode. Let's do it. Anyway, so... I guess you could say Michael C. Hall's character in Dexter is a maniac at large. Oh, he is. Good segue. Thank you. That's great. So, you want me to do the synopsis? Do it. All right. Maniac at Large, episode 10 of season four. Directed by John Frankenheimer. Written by Mae Woods. Starring Blythe Danner, Salome Jens, Clarence Williams III, Oba Bubatunde, I, we we kind of landed on that pronunciation of his name. Sorry if I butchered it. And Adam Ant. Margaret is a new clerk at a library in a crime-ridden city. Not only does she have to deal with juvenile delinquents, a mean old head librarian, overbearing guests, and a lascivious security guard, but there is also a serial killer loose somewhere in the city. Despite her concerns about the killer, Margaret is made to work after closing hours to help prepare for an upcoming book sale. Margaret becomes convinced that she'll be the next victim and that everyone she meets could be the killer. As her paranoia and terror grow, the real killer is soon to be revealed. Dun, dun, dun. dun. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I had a lot of trouble engaging with this episode. Really? It felt very generic. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Uh, it was it was full of that. Uh, I know I talk about it a lot, and so people are probably tired of hearing about it. Like that idea from the eighties and nineties that like cities are crime ridden; they're just falling apart, and every child you meet is a potential delinquent and a killer, and right. gang member, or whatever. It's uh, like this, like it's it's at the same time as the satanic panic. Mm-hmm. There was the urban panic. Yeah, there was, and there was actually I think I talked about on an episode or two ago. There was this panic over this idea of super predators. Kids that grew up with no morals whatsoever, and we're going to be these super criminals that were a threat to the American way. Right. Um, but yeah, I, this this episode is kind of drenched in that. Mm. That idea, yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're out to get us. Yeah, they're all. Everyone's out to get you. Right. Everyone's out to get you. And I think they even like talk about it sometimes. The city is making me do things. Oh yeah. The city is making this killer do what it does. Yeah. Right. Um, that, that that is a um, that was really big. I think in the fifties. Oh, and, yeah. and the nineties when this happened and which caused what they call the, the white flight in the, um, in the fifties where white families moved to the suburbs. Yes. There's a demographic shift away from the cities. The big migration, the big migration because they was the idea that, that cities were becoming more crime ridden. People had to escape from it to the, to the suburbs. And the same thing was happening in the nine, the eighties and nineties right. too. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's just, that's okay. Yeah. It was very predictable. I think. Yeah. I yeah. think so. It was funny because, uh, reading the comic afterwards, I didn't feel the comic was that predictable. I like the comic. The comic, more, I like the comic a lot more too. Sure. I think the payoff is stronger. They do a better job building it up, right? And not explaining to you what the ending is, but they don't quite stick the landing at the end. I mean, technically of, of the show, right? I, I think you, it's the exact same point that you made about Pet Cemetery, mm-hmm. because like by. Listening to the audiobook, yeah, it made you dislike the movie. Yes, reading the comic for me yeah, made, made me the, dislike the episode. Same, same. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, the same bullet points are there. It's just executed in a better medium. It is because the show is almost a paint by numbers of the comic. Right. This is probably the most closely hewn to the comic of any of the episodes we've seen, I especially think. this season, the season. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Especially this season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but this was, you know, I feel like the past few episodes have not been as good as like the rest of the season. That's because none of them are from, are from the horror books. Yeah. The, oh, that's, that's a good point. Because well, the first two were what the last two have been Westerns. Western. Yes. Or, yeah, two fisted well, tales. Two fisted. Yeah. Um, but that I, we talked about that, that, that King of the road was a Western just in the, with oh, modern yeah, it's a mod, yeah. yeah. So we've had two Westerns. And now this is a crime story. Yeah. We haven't actually had it. What? I mean, for, for the listeners, a few weeks, but it's been a few months, a few for months, us. but yeah. for us, it's like, it's, it's been, been, a few been months forever. For us. Yeah. 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 Since we've, we've had, had like an like, honest, tell the story. thing is, I looked at the notes for the next one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We're back, baby. We're back. <laughs> <laughs> but we will, we'll make this entertaining. <laughs> well, yeah, I, we'll make this entertaining. I, hopefully we convey uh, the same feeling that Bruce was saying with like, like Pet Cemetery. And actually, here's another thing that y'all can tell yeah. us out there. Is there a story, a movie, a book, anything where digesting it in a different medium made you dislike this, another version mm, of it? Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm sure it's the same for comics. I mean, yeah, I try not to be that person, though, because I understand there are two different mediums and and they are trying to accomplish two different things. Right. For two different audiences. Exactly. You know, it's like I think we've talked about this with uh, Marvel comics before. Right. And Marvel movies, like they are for two completely different audiences, and you have to take the um, 
the movies as their own thing and the comic books as their own thing. Yes. But I, I trying to adapt Pet Cemetery though, I know we're going back on this again as a movie, you can't do it because you're going to miss so much, so much that was important. Yes. Yeah. And I think for a lot of things, like you said, I love the Marvel movies, but I love the comics because they add a certain level of depth that the movies cannot do. Yeah. Because there's no budgets. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Can, it's just the imagination and the talent of the artist. Right. Yeah. And so um, I think I think uh, hopefully we convey that same feeling with this story. Yeah. But let's get back to the, the, the show <laughs> that we're here to talk about. <laughs> uh, so at, for the director, we have John Frankenheimer. He's one of the most famous directors. I'm not, maybe not the most famous directors in Hollywood, but he is a very famous director. Right. Um, he got a start in the golden age of television. Actually, he got a start in the army. Oh, they um, he was maybe he got drafted to World War Two, maybe or Korea or something like that. And he applied to be in like television production. And they realized like he applied to be like an actor in like their propaganda films, whatever. And they realized, no, this dude's a very talented director. director. Just like you put a camera in his hands. Right. And he's just born to do it. Right. Right. And so he when he left the military, he was on TV and he was like one of the pioneers of making TV its own unique art form. Because beforehand, they tried to film it like a stage play. Right. And you see a lot of old movies that are filmed like they're just they just they just look play. like someone's filming a stage play. A stage play. Yeah. And he was the one to start like using different blockings, using different like varieties of sets, using multiple cameras on a set. Like developing the first techniques. Techniques. Of the yes. art form. Yeah. Of the art form. Right. Yeah. Um, then he made a uh, the jump to feature films, but he went back and forth his whole career. I mean, there was a time, I think, where being a TV being a movie director is more prestigious than being a TV director. And you'd want to be in one more than the other. He went back and forth all of his life. He didn't care. And I saw this thing that said, if live TV had not gone, the gone away, um, he he probably was just staying TV the whole time. Cause that's what he loved. Oh, Um, but then he did movies like uh, the young savages with Burt Lancaster, just very advanced, um, for the time movie about these uh, white juvenile delinquents that kill a Puerto Rican boy. Oh damn. And the Burt Lancaster is like a prosecutor trying to like prove it against like all this like racism. Right. Stuff. Uh, then he did the Birdman of Alcatraz about, Oh God, I can't remember that guy's name. Uh, the prisoner of in Alcatraz and Leavenworth who became a very prominent ornithologist study birds. Oh damn. Yeah. Um, Thanks for that. I needed that. <laughs> I was like me. That's cool. That, 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 I saw the look in your eyes. He became an orthodontist. Yeah. Um, no, he, uh, it's a really cool story. I can't remember his name now, but he was, he was a murderer, right? So, oh, he was like, he's considered like a super dangerous predator, damn. not predator, a prisoner, right? He was considered a very dangerous prisoner and he fell in love with birds while he was in Leavenworth. Damn. And, um, while he was in Leavenworth, he smuggled out a study of birds and it became a very important study of like bird diseases. <laughs> and he, while he was there, he raised a, um, he had like a canary selling business no shit. from the prison and like raised like hundreds of canaries. <laughs> and, um, so his, his, his book came out about the diseases of the canaries, whatever. Right. And it was very prominent, very important. And then he complained that the publisher had not been giving him the, the royalties from it. Right. And so the publisher wrote the prison and was like, yeah, this guy's bothering us. And so the prison, the, the, the Bureau of Prisons had him sent to Alcatraz, where he didn't have as much freedom there because the warden, the warden at Alcatraz so was much more 
hard nose than the 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 there was a reform minded warden at Love, Leavenworth. Yeah. Oh shit. And so, uh, but then when he was at uh, Alcatraz, he wrote a study of the American prison system. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, like, there was this thing called the Battle of uh, Alcatraz. Right. right, with this huge riot, and he helped negotiate peace between the prisoners and the and the, the guards. But he was a prisoner. He was a prisoner himself. Yeah. Did he ever get out? No, he died in prison. Oh damn. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, he was a uh, he was a dangerous, dangerous man. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> that I mean, wow. Uh, then uh, the Manchurian Candidate. He directed that. Uh, mm-hmm. Seven Days in May. Um, uh, Black Sunday, which uh, is more. F- it's not really famous as a movie. It's more famous for being like the first movie based on Thomas Harris's stuff. Mm-hmm. This is the guy who wrote uh, Science of the Lambs. Oh, cool. Uh, the Prophecy, which has the best kill in a horror movie ever. Really? Oh, it is amazing. <laughs> it is Oh, it is so good. <laughs> it is so amazing. This is a this is a mutated bear movie. Oh, oh yeah, with, I think you sh- you told me about yeah, this with before. The, the the sleeping bag kill. Yes. Yes. Okay. With uh, Armand DeSante, uh, this Italian dude playing an Indian, <laughs> like as happens so much in movies and professional wrestling. Um, a movie about George Wall, uh, George Wallace, the um, segregationist from the South. Right. I just mentioned that because it was a TV movie, but Frankenheimer was able to get in like big movie stars at the time to be in it, like oh, Gary cool. Sinise and Charlize Theron. And stuff like nice. when they were, you know, they wouldn't do TV. And he also did. He was the second director on the island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, cool. You know about this? Yeah. You know about the story? I don't know. Okay. I mean, I know the, the movie. The, the movie, Dr. yeah. With, um, with um, uh, um, uh, shit, uh, uh, like Val Kilmer yeah. and Marlon Brando. Yep. Right. Um, he was the second director on it after Richard Stanley was fired for whatever reason. And I, there's a documentary about it and I'd highly recommend watching it. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's hilarious. Awesome. Um, and then the, <laughs> I found this note and I thought it was funny. Apparently he hooked up with, or rather Steve Martin's girlfriend in the seventies cheated on Steve Martin with John Frankenheimer. <laughs> and then sometime in the eighties, he tried to get Steve Martin's wife to cheat on him. <laughs> <laughs> Just hate Steve Martin. I did it one time. I'll do it again. (laughs) I see see Steve Martin like waking up, going outside to get the mailbox, and he sees like a Ferrari with a girl in it, but a guy's driving. He's like, Frank. I'm sure when Frankenheimer died in like 02, he was like, Yes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) And then we have Mae Woods as the writer, and this is her third third episode writing um i really won't get into her credits because this is her these are her only writing credits it really seems uh she is like producer walter hill's girl friday she's like a production assistant on or assistant director or something on like all the stuff he does oh or i did i don't know if he's still alive anyway uh this is her third episode her first one was cutting cards oh yeah and deadline those are both good those are both good yeah um then we have Blythe Danner as Margaret the Librarian. Or I think they call her a clerk. They don't call her a librarian, do they? Yeah. She's just a new clerk. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's funny. I know her name. I know she's famous, but I really didn't recognize her. I, I'm, I don't yeah. think I've ever seen her before. Uh, so she got her start on Broadway, where almost out of the gate, she won her uh, Tony Award nice. for a, a thing called Butterflies Are Free. And uh, she's been nominated for Tonys ever since. Oh, Because cool. she goes back and forth between um, film and Broadway. 
Cool. Uh, then she made the jump to fil- film, and she was in a TV movie called The Scarecrow, where a witch at the Salem Witch Trials brings a scarecrow to life to kill people. Okay. Yeah, cool. Then she was in a movie called To Kill a Clown, <laughs> which was a thriller movie with Alan Alda, Hawkeye, from MASH, playing a psycho murderer. It doesn't uh, work. I, yeah, I just can't imagine He's that. too no. nice of a guy. But funny. Then she ended up like, doing an episode of MASH later on. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Uh, she was in 1776, the musical about the Revolutionary War. <laughs> it's dumb as shit. I, it's one of one of the wars that was on Broadway. It's yeah. dumb as shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, to Wong Fu, thanks for everything. Julie, Julie Moore. Uh, the X-Files movie, uh, Meet the Parents. She's in all of those Meet the Parents movies. She plays um, uh, Robert Nero's wife. Oh, okay. Uh, she was one of the American voice cast in Howl's Moving Castle. She did 15 episodes of Will and Grace. Uh, back during its original original run and she did most recently several episodes of american gods oh cool uh, but i think now she is most famous for being gwyneth paltrow's mother oh she's legitimately yeah. gwyneth paltrow's mother yeah yeah oh, okay yeah, cool yeah then we have salome jens as mr mrs pritchard or is it miss or mrs it doesn't matter the librarian so she got her start in a movie called Terror from the year 5000. I know nothing about it. That's an awesome name. Yeah, that's great. And then she was on TV shows like Great Ghost Stories, The Untouchables, The Outer Limits. She did a 500 episode run of a, 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 a not sitcom, but a soap opera called Love is a Splendid Thing that's in steady the work. Nine, not 90s, the 60s. Um, some movie called Diary of a Madman, like kind of generic thriller, I think. Right. Um, then she was on other shows like Heart to Heart, Quincy MD, Trapper John, Cagney and Lacey, MacGyver, Falcon's Crest, L.A. Law, Star Trek The Next Generation, and Deep Space Nine, like 15 episodes. Damn. Um, she was a voice actress on a couple of episodes of Avatar The Last Airbender as well. Oh, tight. And she was she was a narrator in Clan of the Cave Bear. You ever see that? No. It's, it's a um, it's a movie about cavemen, basically. But, yeah. Stone Age with Daryl Hannah. Like one of her early oh, cool. roles. Yeah, she's a narrator in that. She was Martha Kent on the Superboy TV series in the late 80s. Nice. And she was one of the Green Lanterns in the Ron Reynolds Green Lantern movie. What? Yeah. She was... She, she she's was had a, a life. She's, she is in her... like uh, She's close to 90. Yeah. She's in her 80s. She's still, still alive, I believe. Yeah, she's nice. in her 80s. Yeah. I think that, that her birth year was 35. Damn. Yeah. Good for her. And so in her 70s, she was a Green Lantern. Yeah. <laughs> she's already old in this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this 1992. Then we have Clarence William III as Grady, the security guard. Ah. Uh, he was most famous for being one of the leads, uh, Lincoln Hayes, on The Mod Squad. Remember that? You remember I've that never TV seen show? it. Yeah, it was an old TV show from the 60s where they had counterculture people as undercover cops. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. It was like, it's supposed to be young and hip, and they specifically did it. They specifically used characters that were upsetting or or that, too, or that white suburbia feared. Oh, he, urban he, uh, panic. Yeah, yeah. So they had like a, um, they had a hippie dude. Yeah. Or a drifter dude. They had the uh, Lincoln Hayes, who was a uh, black activist. Okay. And they had this um, this uh, w- uh, blonde, young, white girl who was led astray and became a hippie. 
Uh, right. And so they specifically use those kind of characters to But they're actual the show cops. Around. But they're cops, yeah. And they they were they were kind of like, you know, hey, we could use you to fight crime. Blah, right. Blah blah blah. Um just you know, it, even though they are counterculture and they are they're cool characters, whatever, right. it's still copaganda. Oh right. yeah, copaganda <laughs> never dies. And then he kind of um, like played against the, against that type the rest of his career. He the rest of his career he's always kind of like um, authority figures or fatherly figures or authoritarian father figures. Right. Uh, he was on purple. He was in Purple Rain as Prince's father. Oh cool. Uh, and he was on shows like Hill Street Blues, Miami Vice, The Cosby Show, The Highwayman. Uh, he did like three episodes of Twin Peaks, uh, Jake and the Fat Man, also DS9, like um, uh, uh, Salome Jens. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was on Empire, Burnus, uh, Burnus, Jesus Christ, Burn Notice and Justify. I tried saying those together. <laughs> um, he was in I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, love, that, love movie. that movie. And which is funny because he actually avoided being in black exploitation films during his career. Yeah. And then he was in this like thing making fun of them. Well, because it makes yeah, fun of it. It makes fun of them. Yeah. Um, I just remember the uh, platform shoes yeah. that were fish tanks. Yes. Yeah. And I the goldfish those. swimming. Yes. <laughs> it's so good. Yes. It's such a funny movie. It's such a great movie. Uh Maniac Cop Two. Sugar Hill, Tells in the Hood. He was also in John Frankenheimer's uh, George Wallace, Half Baked, uh, Reindeer Games, which I think was also directed by John Frankenheimer. Oh, nice. Uh, American Gangster. He was Bumpy Johnson. And uh, most recently, I think he passed away a couple of years ago, but he was, I think one of his last credits was a uh, horror anthology film called American Nightmares. Cool. Yeah. Hell yeah. Then we have Oba Bubatunde. We think that's how his name's pronounced as Lieutenant Jameson, a cop. It's in for like a scene. Two seconds. Um, he was in Sounds of the Lambs as a TV reporter, uh, the Necronomicon by Brian Yunza and Stuart Gordon. Uh, Life. Uh, he was in Black Dynamite. Have you ever seen Black Dynamite? Oh, yes. Oh, I love that movie. Dolls of Voodoo. He's, um, he was in TV shows like Briscoe, Briscoe County Jr., Thunder in Paradise. Wasn't Thunder that the, in Paradise. Uh, wasn't that the Hulk Hogan, Carl Weathers show? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Fresh Prince, Sliders. Do you ever watch Sliders? That's no. such a fun show. Had... Um, um, John Reese Davies, the guy that plays uh, oh, Gimli, uh, le- yeah, legend. Um, and uh, Jerry O'Connell, mm-hmm. and um, John Reese Davies had had invented something that would allow people to move between different, like multi world, multi, you know, move through the multiverse, go right. different worlds, and they get stuck and they're just bouncing from world to world and world, and um, so they go like just different kind of like Earths. Well, oh, it was cool. a really cool show. Oh. Um, back in the day, I don't, I don't know how well it's done up now, but I remember it being really cool. Right. Uh, Friends, The Outer Limits, Revival, NYPD Blue, Grey's Anatomy, Criminal Minds, and most importantly, since like '03 or whatever, he has been the voice of Lando Calrissian in Star Wars video games. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. That's amazing. Uh, then we have, last but not least, Adam Ant as the overbearing <laughs> library guest. <laughs> Who? <laughs> He's a singer. For what? He was a British New Wave singer back in the 80s. He had this band called Adam the Ants, and then he went on his own. Yeah. I am, yeah. yeah. Well, I always remember the name, Adam Ant, uh, yeah, but yeah. I never knew honestly, what he, what honestly, he was. Honestly, I don't know him that well, so I'm not going to talk about him like I know anything he's done, whatever. Oh, okay. I know who he is. I know right. what his music is, but I always forget what his music is. And right. like, if you play for me, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Adam Ant. But if you put a gun to my head right now without playing the music, I'm like, I have no They're idea like, what sing an Adam Ant song. But, oh, ah, Jesus Christ. Uh, Goody Two Shoes. That's the only one I know. No yeah, idea. So I'll if, check it out. Though. If I'll play for you, I'll play it for you afterwards, and you'll be like, oh, yeah. I know oh, okay, song. cool. Uh, he, was in, he hasn't had a really long career. He's still doing music. 
Whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's had a very like a very limited career. He did a movie called Nomads, which was one of those um, uh, I think voodoo movies, terror right. movies in the uh, 80s. Uh, Spellcast, which is a generic slasher film. Um, Out of Time, which I just mentioned. Uh, just mentioned. Out of Time, which I just mentioned because it was a made-for-TV movie about time travel starring Bruce Abbott from Reanimator. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then he was on the shows like The Equalizer, Amazing Stories, Northern Exposure, and he did a voice for one episode on Batman the Animated Series. That's one more than me. Yeah. No, one more than me. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there we are. Nice. Yeah. Are we ready? Hello. We want to thank Strong Jeff, friend of the show, for that <laughs> lovely segue as we get into, well, once again, this is Maniac at Large, Season 4, Episode 10, which premiered August 19th, 1992. The opening is the Crypt Keeper sitting at his desk at Crypt Keeper Realty Company, and he's sitting there in a suit and a name badge and it, says, so, sorry. It makes no sense. No, well, here's the thing. Here's a, you bring yeah. this up. Uh-huh. He's working. He is working. Yeah, and he's got another job. Yeah, and he he like he has no problems interrupting his business day mm-hmm. to talk to us. In fact, what's funny about this? Sorry, I got it. Like, a, in fact, like not only are we interrupting his work, he's trying to sell us property. That's true. And we denied him, and instead of this, like, okay, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. I can't get you I can't get he's money. Like, have no problem. Yeah, he's like, get out of here. Well, actually, let me tell you a story. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, well. He, he, just, he just doesn't dismiss us because we're not buying. He's actually a nice guy. He invites us in. It might be a sales pitch, though. Oh. Yeah, he might be trying to entice us by telling us a story. Damn. Well, the realtor, the crib keeper, says, city life got you down. Are you looking for a home on deranged? <laughs> <laughs> and he has a perfect tomb with a view. And when the audience, I'm, us, say that we're not interested, he says, Why? Are you afraid to get a morgue? Itch? <laughs> Now the story starts <laughs> with a library mural of a library with the words knowledge is power under it. The camera pans to the most packed fucking library I've ever seen <laughs> uh, with a nerd. He gets a weird look from a priest walking by and the camera pans further to see uh, an old man reading a newspaper with the headline maniac at, maniac at large serial killer strikes again. Seventh victim found in the park. A punk kid stabs the newspaper in order to steal it from the old man and he takes it back to the table uh, that they've also written words on the table. The head librarian, Mrs. Pritchard, notices this and confronts the punks with her security guard, Grady. The kids refuse to clean the table and they get kicked out while mild-mannered librarian, Margaret, is frightened. Mrs. Pritchard asks Margaret to clean up the defaced table. As she does, she notices the newspaper headline, Uh, and the knife that the punks left on the table. Margaret sneaks it into her pocket, but then notices that Pipkin, the nerd with the glasses nearby, caught her, but he only smiles and returns to his reading. Yes, Pipkin is the... uh um, the overbearing library guest. We, he has a name in the credits, but they never say it in the show. They never say his name. Absolutely. Uh, this, is, this is Adamant. 
Right. And yeah. this is essentially like through this whole notes that I've written as I was watching it, I just said the nerd. Yeah. And then I finished it and then I went to IMDb and I'm like, wait, he has a name. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's weird. Later, an old bag lady sings old McDonald to Margaret in a creepy voice and Grady escorts her away. <laughs> Margaret and Grady discuss how sad the bag lady's life must be, especially with a killer on the loose. Grady says that he asked Mrs. Pritchard if the home, if the nearby area homeless could stay in the library at night because the serial killer is at large, but it was to no avail. Grady goes on to say that Mrs. Pritchard thinks that she's all high and mighty and he doesn't like how she treats people. Grady says that Pritchard is even going to get worse as Margaret is only within her first couple weeks of the job. He even overheard today of a phone call in which Pritchard said that she wants Grady and her to work overtime tonight, even though there's a killer on the loose. Just then, they're interrupted by Mrs. Pritchard saying, you're just as bad as the children and asked Margaret to come to her office. Grady looks off into the distance as Margaret goes into her meeting while holding a stick of gum. <laughs> I say that? Yeah. Because it, it, he legitimately, it just, he holds he a piece holds of gum up to his mouth, mouth and he doesn't chew and he it. he does nothing. He does nothing. Yeah. He just holds it. He's in deep thought. It's yeah. hilarious. It's a great shot. In Pritchard's office, Pritchard is looking uh, far into the mural and says, I have to look at this mural to remind myself that I work in a library and not a sewer. 20 years ago, people would even dress up when coming here, but now we have security to protect the books from the people. And by the way, you shouldn't distract Officer Brady. He has a short attention span as it is. <laughs> she is just not okay. No. Margaret says that they were just discussing working late, and she was surprised as she was unaware. Pritchard said that it must have slipped her mind, but Margaret says that it's okay, she can work tonight. As Margaret leaves, Pritchard reminds her to keep her voice down while at the checkout desk because, quote, library manners don't come naturally to all of us. Oh. <laughs> Margaret yeah. turns around, starts leaving, and scoffs that seems, at herself. That seems, I don't know, there's something. She is just a grade A bitch. Yeah. For sure. But she plays it really well. Yeah. I mean, she's great. Later, Margaret is putting books away on the top shelf using stairs when a shadowy figure startles her. It's the nerd Pipkin from earlier asking, <laughs> I don't know what else to call it, asking if he can check out the book called Alone with the Devil, Psychopathic Killings That Shock the World. That's a real book. Really? Yeah, it's a real book by a, um, a guy, uh, his name is Ronald Markman. And uh, he was like a point, a, uh, a court appointed psychologist that would actually talk to serial killers. Oh, shit. Yeah. And so that book is about like his conversations with all oh. these famous killers. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Well, all right. But another book on tape. We got to. I don't know if it's on tape. <laughs> I don't know if it is either. I say book on tape. You know, I'm in my I'm almost 40 <laughs> when I say book on tape. <laughs> uh, I found uh, out the other day hmm. that apparently using a reaction gif is a sign that you're old because kids don't use reaction gifts. Oh, like haha or tears or something, you know, that this is like when you take a, like a, a moving image, you know, a gif, right? I don't know why I explain what a gif is to you. I'm sorry. Uh, and you use, <laughs> I'm it. a gif man. Yeah. Yeah, I am too. Yeah. Apparently that's a mark that you're old. Kids don't do that these days. What do they do? I don't know. 
They use emojis, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> they don't even understand our Kids, references anyway. They, oh, my God. They don't. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Pipkin asked if he could take Alone in the Dark, uh, Psychopathic Killings, home with him. And Margaret says that reference books cannot be checked out. He says, it's a shame. It is a good book. If the police were to read it, they could probably understand what kind of a man the serial killer is. Ha ha ha. It's so awkward. And he goes, well, he's not really a serial killer. Serial killers look for a specific type of victim. All of the victims mentioned have nothing in common except that they're men. But that's just a coincidence. Margaret looks super confused and he says it <laughs> or concerned. Right. He says, I have a theory that the next victim will be a woman. <gasps> he goes on to theorize about what makes the killer tick. And Margaret is certainly shook. Pritchard is that's another old term. That's a new term. Shook. Shook. I, I, no, I, think, that's, keep, I think that's a uh, decade or two old. Now I can say it. Yeah. Fuck it. Yeah, we'll say it. Well, who cares? Right. Pritchard is watching them and uh, Margaret tells the man to skedaddle. I like how I did shook and skedaddle. <laughs> I'm everywhere, baby. Pritchard tells Margaret to take some of the items downstairs into the basement. In the basement, Margaret sees a shadow of a hand with a knife in a stabbing motion and freaks out. And she runs upstairs and she grabs Officer Grady to investigate. Oh, no, not Officer Grady. Well, yeah. yeah. Security guard <laughs> Security Grady. Security guard Grady, yeah. Give him respect uh, to investigate, uh, but he doesn't find anyone. Margaret sees a shadow on the ground and screams, but it's only Grady's stash of booze. He takes a drink and he tries to touch Margaret's hand, saying, the only people down here are you and me. She, understandably, runs away and <laughs> freaks out again <laughs> yeah. and, and runs upstairs to Pritchard's office, but she is interrupting a meeting between Pritchard and the newly arrived police lieutenant, Jameson, about some stolen typewriters. That happened before Margaret. Before she got there. Yeah. Margaret says that she saw a shadow of a man with a knife. But as she's doing that, she's also producing the knife that's in her pocket. Yeah. That she got from those kids. From the punk kids for no reason at all. Yeah. It's really weird. It's really weird. And the thing is, I think that's the first little wink. Yeah, it might. might I think so, because technically it doesn't make sense. Like she goes, there's a dude in the basement with a knife, but then she takes a knife out of her pocket. There's a a wink earlier. Oh, yeah? Yeah. When Adamant, the nerd, is talking about like who he thinks the next victim will be. Yeah. There's there's a wink about who will be the next victim. I mean, he was right. He was right. He's right. In fact, fact, there are other characters who make predictions about what the killer's going to do, and they are right. They have no way of knowing. They're just spitballing. It's more like storyteller winking, Mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, Sorry. Lieutenant Jameson takes the knife from her hand, and she says, no, it wasn't this knife. This was left by some punk kids. And he puts it on the table. He then goes downstairs in the basement, but only finds a carved up uh, book of nude photos of women. And Jameson says that it's only kids and he disregards Margaret's concerns. As she says, it could have been the killer. (laughs) Jameson leaves, but gives his card to the ladies. Margaret snitches to Grady uh, about Grady's drinking from downstairs in the basement, but Pritchard thinks that she's overreacting about all this serial killer business, and she will deal with Grady her own way. Later, 
Margaret sees Grady and Pritchard having an argument and Grady leaves the building. Pritchard tells Margaret that she is going for food and coffee for their overtime session tonight. And Margaret locks the door of the library, but she notices that Pipkin is still in the building. (laughs) Pipkin uh, says that he had no idea that the library was closing and said, I've made great progress today. Killers are fascinating once you get to know them. So he is just weird. He's just, he has no social skills. Mm -hmm. He's, he's not giving himself uh, a good enough boost here. Socially as Uh, As he puts on his trench coat, he tries to guess about the local serial killer. He says, quote, he could be a man in a trench coat with big round glasses. (laughs) Maybe he just snaps and goes berserk, which, by the way, that perfectly describes what he looks like. Yes. Yeah. And Margaret nervously laughs. And it uh, perfectly describes what happens to another character later on. Right. He gets real close to her face to Margaret and describes how the killer must be this close in order to cut someone's throat. And she yells, please stop. He then apologizes and asks if he, she is working alone tonight as she's alone in the building now. And she says yes, but quickly changes her answer to no and says that Grady and Pritchard will return soon. She unlocks the doors for Pipkin and he leaves. And all he says is, Be careful. (laughs) And then we never see him again. Nope, we don't. Margaret locks the door and turns around to see the newspaper headline again, Maniac at Large, and she gets even more nervous. All of a sudden, a man in a black beanie starts banging on the door, yelling gibberish, (laughs) and she immediately freaks out. She tries to call the cops, but the phone is dead. She turns the lights off and the emergency exit door on the side of the building starts to shake and it sounds the alarm. Margaret is now in full-blown panic. After the noise stops, Margaret can hear Mrs. Pritchard outside banging on the door and yelling for her. Margaret lets her in saying that the killer was banging on the door. Pritchard says that that's just a frequent patron who has some weird bone disorder and, <laughs> and left his books at the dropout, the drop box. You know, he and looked, here's, he sorry, looked normal to me. Huh? He looked normal to me. Yeah, but he wasn't like he was saying gibberish. Like oh, he was just like, blah, I, blah, oh, okay. blah. I, I was wondering, like, I was like, I thought maybe it was just because he was outside. She couldn't understand him. Well, the thing is, you can hear Mrs. Pritchard go uh, like she's like, Margaret, oh, Margaret. You're right. Yeah. So it's kind of yeah. eh, I think that might be a scene that's just they they goof up. Yeah. Because really, it literally is a dude in a beanie going. Yeah. yeah. You know, and the thing is, that's really funny is, uh, you know, once. Uh, Pritchard tells Margaret like no that's not the killer it's yeah. just a dude he was here to drop off his books right and she picks up his books on the floor because he put it through the drop box yeah why did he bang on the window because she lets him in at night she said she because he he works till nine o'clock at night that's the comic no 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 she says it in the show too she does yeah oh she I says she it. lets him in after hours because he works late Oh yeah, but uh, he also has a weird boat. Is that what was that what describes his 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 um, voice? I guess. I, I guess like he can't talk properly, but it also shows like the kind of uh, the bigotry of Margaret. She just assumes because this guy is deformed in some way that he must be the killer. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. I mean, th- technically, Margaret's character is like you said. Her character description is just she's panic. Yeah. All the yeah. time. Yeah. Everyone's out to get you. Everyone's, yeah. You know, she also says that the phone doesn't work because she turned them off. 
and says, we are closed after all, and tells Margaret to come into her office. In the office, Pritchard says Margaret is overreacting about this local serial killer business and says it could easily be a woman. Wouldn't that surprise everyone? Margaret asks where Grady is and Pritchard uh, and says that Pritchard hates Grady and must have killed him. Pritchard says, you think I'm the murderer? Margaret yells in a panic and starts choking Pritchard and yells, I know you're after me, just like all the others. I'm not afraid anymore. Now, I, I will say they do a decent job of making you think, OK, Adam Ant's character could be the killer. Right. Uh, and then when uh, they get to Mrs. Pritchard in the office alone with her, the way Mrs. Pritchard delivers her lines makes you think, okay, yeah, she could be the killer. Right. They, maybe that, that, that that's what they're hinting at now, but not quite. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And she stabs Pritchard with the knife that Lieutenant Jameson left on the office and saying, I'm not afraid anymore. Just then, Grady comes back yelling for Pritchard saying, I heard the alarm sound and I was checking the back doors. What's going on? <laughs> that alarm, by the way, is not an alarm for a building. It is not. It is like I have battleships sinking. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> ooga, ooga. Yeah. It's not just a bell like in every yeah. other building. <laughs> right. He enters to see in Pritchard's office but sees her dead body and he is shocked. <gasps> Margaret looking pretty much exactly how Pritchard looked when she was looking at the mural. Yeah. Like out the window. Yeah. By the way, hmm. that mural shot goes on way too long. Oh, it's forever. It's It's the entire opening credits. Yeah. Yeah. It's way too long. Margaret said. Oh, yeah. It's boring. Margaret says, I guess I'll just have to resign and move again. I liked it here. The city makes me nervous, though. There's so much crime. I don't like to be afraid all the time. I'm sorry for such short notice. I hope you won't think too badly of me. She smiles, and we fade to black. <laughs> we do. And this is that thing I talked about a few episodes ago, where people don't think of themselves as criminals. Yes. They think of other people as criminals. You have a reason for doing the things you do. The other people just, just break the law. Right. Yeah. The Crypt Keeper says... Uh, uh, is standing next to a sold sign, <laughs> S-O-U-L-E-D. Like WCW used to do for sold out. Too sweet, baby. Yeah. And he says, I guess a knife in the big, that's a knife in the big city for you. Okay, that one doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, but I made a sale. I just had to throw in a couple of eight. Oh. And he throws a human foot into a furnace. And he, and I will say, this is one of my favorite Crypt Keeper like yeah. lines. Uh-huh. He goes, there goes the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> he just says it with such like, uh, uh, he puts like just oomph into it. <laughs> Some gusto. He puts, he's like, neighborhood. <laughs> I rolled my eyes when I heard that. Yeah. When I was watching it. But watching you deliver it. <laughs> that was amazing that's how i felt with i was just like that's a man i love it that's all that is one of the all-time greatest crib keeper lines and i would love john kassir to uh redo our opening <laughs> name neighborhood. here's the crib keepers there goes the neighborhood <laughs> I love it. Yeah. All right. It was. It was. It was okay. It was okay. They yeah. definitely had like okay. Um. You know, Grady's missing, so Pritchard could have killed him. Yeah. They hated each other. Um. There's also Adam Ant because he's just a weird, creepy dude. But I'm not justifying 
Margaret's character. Uh-huh. She definitely is mentally ill. Yes. But Adam Ann got really close yes, to her. But, you know, it, it's, it implies in the show that she's been the one killing people. Yeah. Right. Uh. I don't think they do a good enough job of it. Oh, no. No. I do think it is, like you said, I think it's clever that pretty much whenever somebody mentions, like, the killer could be a woman, yeah. or the next victim could they're be a des- woman, or whatever. describing her. Yeah they're, yeah, they're all accurate. Yeah, they're all accurate, yeah. But, it, you know, it's hinting towards the, that she will be the killer, but it, it just doesn't, like, I don't think they really establish that, not as well as the comic does. The like, comic does it amazingly. she is doing this, and why she has been doing right. this. Right. Yeah. Right. But yes, the comic is is so good. Right, it is. But yeah, I give it like a, I don't know, a C plus. Like yeah. it's fine. It, it does its job. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's just, there's, there's been so many bangers this season that it's hard to like, when there's a, a, a mediocre one. Well, I kind of, honestly, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about like this one in the last two. Yeah. Because we went three or four episodes in a row of solid gold. Yeah. Yeah, and now we're in bronze. Yeah, which is cool. Yeah, I mean, it, but but it really emphasizes how bronze they are. Right. Yeah. Uh, if you don't love me, I'm a maniac at large. You don't deserve me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> counting cards. I think we've mentioned this before, but the people who say that are just the worst people. Oh, they're the worst. Oh, absolutely. Like there there I, is no good. The, yeah. No. No. There is. Uh, I think we actually talked about that last episode. Anyway, <laughs> so you want to go into the comic? Let's do it. All right. This is from Crime Suspense Stories, number 27, written by Jack Olick, art by George Evans, and uh, colors by Marie Severin. I didn't write it down, so I had to like, jog my I mean, can, I, it, yeah. yeah, it's her. We know. We know. Yeah. Blanche is a new librarian in a city beset by a serial killer. Seven victims have fallen to the killer's hands so far, each of them strangled, each of them a man. Working late one night, Blanche becomes convinced that she'll become the maniac's next victim. But when backed into a corner, Blanche is more than capable of defending herself, just like she's done seven times before. Dun, dun, dun. dun. So, like I mentioned earlier, the episode like hues very, very closely to the comic. Oh, yes. In fact, it's almost one for one the same thing, except for there is no security guard. Right. And Blanche's name is different. Yeah. That's it. it. Margaret is Blanche. Uh, also, I think a little bit of the sleaze. Yeah. Is, you know, the punk kids. The punk kids. You know, yeah. Defacing stuff. And what's funny is Pritchard in the episode says 20 years ago, people used to dress up to come to the yeah. library. Yeah. And the story it's is like 30 roughly before, yeah. like 30 years yeah. later. Yeah. Or 30, yeah, yeah, 30 years earlier. So it is interesting that. And everyone's wearing, everyone visiting is wearing a suit and tie. That's right. Yeah. So they were right. Yeah, they were right. She was right. Yeah. Is this the same Pritchard? No, no, it can't be. It can't be. No. That's Pritchard's daughter. Yeah, it could could be. Yeah. (gasps) (laughs) Blanche, by the way, uh, this is, and we'll mention this now, uh, but. The, one of the reasons that we, I personally like this more than the episode uh-huh. is because the story in the comic is narrated by her, by Blanche. Yes, we get her in, in her thoughts. Yes. Okay. So instead of us in the episode watching her freak out and blah, yeah. blah, blah, we get her narration from the yes. jump. And how she, is, how she sees the world. Yes. Yeah. And I think that makes the ending better. It makes, it makes the ending better and it the the show not by having that narration loses something right 
and it loses th- that twist at the end. Right. I mean, we, yeah, you see her coming that she's the killer. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, because you've listened to the, the, our description of the episode that, you know, she's going to be the killer here, but there is a better setup for that twist at the end. Yes. In this. Yes. Uh, Blanche, the new librarian at the local library comes into work feeling that something horrible is going to happen to her today. Ever since the head librarian, Mrs. Pritchard assigned her to the checkout desk, Blanche has felt terror and it is mounting. She's afraid that after closing the homicidal maniac that uh, will be on the lookout for his eighth victim. Pritchard says that they're going to stay late in order to show her how to file the cards. Pritchard sees a lonely guy left reading and says that she's going to go out for a bite to eat before they work their overtime. Once she leaves, the lone reader's eyes meets Blanche's and she starts to get nervous. What's really cool about this panel is that he is set way back at the, the end of this library. Yes. And it looks like he is glaring at her, but he could be just reading because and, the way his face is shadowed. Right. But what's also cool is that there are these rows of desks reading tables between them. Right. Yes. And there are chairs that are just peeking out. Mm-hmm. And they are chairs without backs. So they have like, uh, I don't know, there's probably a term for it, but they have like, they are, the back of them is like an arch with a piece of wood down the middle. And then the sides are, they're empty. Right. right? And the way it's drawn, they look like eyes peeking up over the desk looking at Oh. Yeah. It's really cool. I never noticed yeah. that. That's cool. Um, and I think like, I guess, because we do want to, I do want to point it out, like yeah. you mentioned. So essentially this is definitely... Pip, Pipkin's character, yes, yeah, the the, lo- the lone reader, but he d- he never gets a name. He's yeah, just ne- the lone reader. In the way they draw him in some of the panels, uh, in one panel in particular, uh, it's too early for him to have been famous enough for this. But he looks like Christopher Lee in one panel. Oh, really? That's so, awesome. Yeah. Um, and I will say, like, I, this is also why the comic is effective, more effective, because mm-hmm. Pipkin is like almost like a. Um, He's too much of a mer- serial yes. uh, killer nerd yeah. to be a serial killer because mm-hmm. he's goofy. He's like, yeah. oh, I wonder what's in their mind. Like, yeah. uh, this lone reader is drawn so far away, yeah. they're mysterious. Yes. And that's yeah. what builds the tension. And what is also kind of cool about it, like in in the episode with Pipkin, they really overemphasize how like crazy and creepy he is to the right. attention. And this, this dude is just saying everything he says is innocuous, but it could be. Yes. Cause the, you know, yeah. the, the, the story, this is one, we, what we're talking See about through her eyes. It's a, sinister. Right. Yeah. Cause the way they, uh, the artist did their work, mm-hmm. they're far away. Yeah. They're out of her vision completely. Yeah. It creates the tension. Right. Cause pretty much like, which I guess you can see sort of with Pipkin where he gets in her face, but it's, it's too in your face. Yeah. Just for me. And you know, I think uh, go on, we'll continue with this. And I think there's something else that like is completely innocuous. But it seems sinister to her point of view. Right. Yeah, so go on. I'll, we'll get to it. Blanche tells the man that it's almost closing time, and, he'll sa- and he says it'll be just a moment. She puts uh, books away, but she can feel that the man's eyes are on her. Yeah, because he's she's disturbing him while he's trying to like finish reading whatever he's reading. Right. Yeah. She just so, She's turned around putting away books, and she's feeling this. Yes, yeah, he's annoyed. But she thinks it's like he's sizing her up to kill her. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. And yeah. that's more that that 
uh, anxious it's feeling gonna... that we read from because she's yeah. narrating. It. Mm-hmm. She gets nervous and drops a book. But in, but then when she bends down, she sees the newspaper on the shelf with the headline, Maniac Still at Large. She's convinced that the maniac will get her. She hears a chair move ever so slightly, and it's the lone reader, getting up, saying he's ready to leave. He asks if she's working late alone, but she insists that Pritchard is on her way back soon. The man offers to stay while Pritchard uh, is gone, but Blanche vehemently, sorry, I can never say that word. Vehemently. Vehemently rejects his offer. Yeah, it's funny because if you read what he's saying just by itself, just it's a, completely innocent. Okay. He's being yep. a nice dude. He's like, are you sure you don't want me to stay here? There's a killer on the loose. Do you want me to stay? Yeah. It doesn't matter. And the way she sees it with his narrate, with her narration, he's sizing her up. Right. Yeah. His eyes are on her. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he's definitely going to get her. He, he's checking to see how long it will be before Pritchard comes back so he can do his work. Ah. Yeah. He leaves and Blanche locks the door and breathes a sigh of relief. After a few moments, another man knocks on the window and points to a book in his hands with today's due date. She yells, please come back tomorrow, and he knocks on the window even more, and Blanche immediately hides. After a while, the knocking stops, and Blanche looks up to see that Mrs. Pritchard is coming towards the door. Blanche, with tears in her eyes, tells of the lone reader who is frightening her. And one thing that I thought was hilarious, yeah. we get the lone reader's name. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And she says, what, Mr. Feely? <laughs> He's harmless. <laughs> so literally, the guy that is terrifying her, who was the lone reader, asked if he could stay with her. His name is Mr. Feely. Feely, yeah. Hmm. Huh. Huh. But yeah. she says, what, Mr. Feely? He's harmless. And then Blanche mentions the man knocking on the window. Uh, and Pritchard says, oh, I forgot. Today's Thursday. Mr. Garvin works until nine, and I give, always give him an extension when his books are overdue. Blanche thought that uh, says that she thought that she was the maniac's next victim. Pritchard looks at the floor and says, what makes you think it's a man? It could be a woman. Blanche gasped. Pritchard goes on to say that she thinks that this local serial killer could be a woman because all the victims are men and the killer should probably kill a woman next to throw the police off. But that's just her theory. Pritchard offers her coffee and Blanche accuses her of poisoning it. Blanche says she felt something would happen to her today and tells Pritchard, stay away. Blanche thinks to herself that she must be in protection mode and yells, Don't touch me, you crazy murderer, and begins to choke Mrs. Pritchard. Suddenly, the fear is gone. I'm strong. I feel strong. I close my strong fingers around the maniac's throat, and I squeeze. I squeeze a life from the maniac's writhing, thrashing body, and then I let the maniac's lifeless form slip from my strong fingers and collapse like a pile of old rags on the library floor. <laughs> that's, that, see, that's what the fuck I'm talking about. Excellent, Bruce. One like Blanche chokes out and kills Pritchard, and like it's a really cool scene because it, they are in the stacks, and it's clear that like they struggle to a table, right? And she 
has her over a table strangling her and then her body falls from the table onto the floor yes it's not like she just she strangles her standing up she falls down no this is a it, fight it's very messy it is a very messy fight yeah uh after killing pritchard and Blaine- she is like and she leaves um mrs pritchard in a very like especially for like the 50s in the very like um um i don't know the, the wrong term for it, a very like it, rude position like shocking yeah yeah not like, like she's like on their back with her arms crossed she's not like on her back with her arms crossed she is like she has like one arm behind her her knees are kind of under her body so right. her like back end sticking up and her right. face on the floor yeah it's yeah. been very like shocking for people of the day yeah. right i get that after killing pritchard blanche leaves but feeling safe and feeling that she saved herself the same way she did the previous seven times killing the maniac before it could kill her that's it all right let me read i want to read this it's so good i turn and step out of the library door out into the night that gnawing fear is gone that horrible feeling that i was to be the maniac's eighth victim is purged from my tortured mind it's impossible now the maniac is dead i've saved myself i walk down the dark empty streets feeling safe feeling secure once again, I have saved myself from becoming the maniac's victim, as I had saved myself seven times before the night by killing the maniac before it could kill me. Dun, dun, dun. dun. And this last panel is so cool because, like, she is walk. She, her face, it's her, it's close up of her face. She's wild eyed. Yeah. And there are, like, newspapers swirling around her head with, with the headlines about how these, these bodies have been found. Right. Yeah. She. I love this idea that she has no idea that it's her, that it's her. Yeah. Right. Which is something that they do not accurately convey in the, in the episode. Well, because in the episode they imply that she knows she's the killer. Not only that, but there, that there is not that she's not the killer of these people. Well, she said, well, but I mean, she doesn't explicitly say it in the episode, but she at least goes, well, I got to move again. Yeah. Which makes me think, like, okay, if she if she had been killing those other people, right, she would have moved beforehand. But now that she's killed this one person, the librarian, like, oh, I gotta leave now. Why would right. she have to leave now? She got caught. She, well, I don't. Well, I mean, she could have killed the Grady. She could have. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. It doesn't quite. It, it doesn't mix. It doesn't like, mix with, well. With, yeah. I, like this is. Uh, hopefully, we conveyed it, but I think we did. Yeah, that was excellent. Work Thank you. Rereading that, but it's. One of those things that I fucking love comics. Yeah. This is the perfect example of a C plus story mm-hmm. being B plus. Oh, yeah. Because of amazing writing and amazing art. art. Yeah. And the idea that we are in the mind of the killer who doesn't know they're a killer. Yeah. It's way more interesting. It's the same story. Yeah. But not as boring. Yeah. This is my this is my personal take. Yeah. No, but, it, 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 I think it's so well done. Oh, yeah. Absolutely well done. And, you know, I, I think even like having known the twist, they still don't overplay it. Right. It's not like it, it, they they disguise it in the comic a bit more so that, that you do feel the impact of that twist. But also because I, go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, in the in the episode, Grady sees her. Yeah. Sees that she's the killer. He reacts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Holy shit. She's the killer. Yeah. In this, there's nobody to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So she literally, sorry, in the comic, the I'll say the killer because their names are different. Yeah. But the killer 
says, oh, well, I guess I better move again. Yeah. Like, it's more like a defeat. Yeah. In the comic. She won. She, she's gone. She's yeah. like, la-di-da. Yeah. yeah. I won. Yeah. I stopped the killer again. Yeah. I protected myself. Once again, like you said, everyone is a hero in their own story. Yeah, exactly. So the character still feels that they are a good person. Yeah, yeah. I and protected myself. She protected herself. Yeah. And it's 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 deeper. It's the same story, but yeah. it's just deeper and more yeah. interesting. And what, one thing I also like about this is that they do everything to Mr. Direct, direct you in the story. Not only the story, but the very cover of the comic is her pulling a book back and there being this man. A man behind it. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. In, in hiding and like sweating and stuff. And we didn't even mention it's, it's the cover story. It's the, it is a cover story, yeah. But yeah, so they do everything to misdirect you and they do everything. That they Going back and reading it, you realize everything these people are saying to her is completely innocent. Yes. But they make everybody look so sinister. And the thing is, I also just like Pritchard's not a bitch. No. And the thing is, it's like she's just like everything she says is, hey, I'm going to teach you some stuff tonight. So yeah. we're going to stay over. I'm going to go grab some coffee. And she, and then when she returns, she's like, poison it. What are you, yeah. what are you talking about? Yeah. I would, I think you're taking it too seriously. They, and I think that's another kind of misstep in the episode. The episode makes everyone objectively more sinister and bitchy. So where the focus is less, is more on their bitchiness and their yeah. weirdness yeah. instead of her fear, yeah, exactly. which is yeah. what she is yeah. causing her to kill. It looks, everything in the episode makes it look like her fears are justified. Right. Everything in the, in, in the comic. Yes. When you read her perspective, it does look like it's justified. However, when you go back and just read it by, read the other characters, what they're doing by themselves. Completely innocent. Yeah. They're completely, completely innocent. Yeah. Yeah. And this, I mean. I think this is a perfect example because I would say we're about 50 50 in our love between the episodes and the comics. Yeah. Uh, this is one that this, the comic destroys the episode. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It is not even a con. And honestly, if you, um, I could probably have to, uh, pull. Oh yeah. Uh, crime suspense stories. Number 27. They premiered February, 1954. It's the cover. Yeah. You'll see the cover of the yeah. librarian. Yeah. Uh, find a way to read it. Yeah. Oh but, yeah. There, if you if you go if you type in the title and number issue number of any comic that we cover right. and type in read online, there are sites Ways. to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, crime Sus- suspense stories number twenty seven. Maniac at large. Highly recommended. Now, I, I would put links into it, but I am not sure how legal that is. Right. To do that. So, uh, just to keep the podcast safe, but to tell you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, just that just there are find, ways to find it. Just Actually, look up no, Maniac no, at let's Large. Say, do not go out there to websites <laughs> like Read Comic Online and right. read this comic. That is something you don't want to do. Right. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even. I don't think it's in book form because I have most of the Dark Horse. I, yeah, uh, I don't know Tales if, from the Crypt books. I don't know if Crimes has been stories. Is well, been. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't do the crime ones. I just do the the three horror books. No, and also do the sci fi ones. Sci fi ones really good. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, I yeah, I, they are collected. Oh, cool. In the EC archives from uh, Dark, Dark Horse. Horse. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, there you go. Um, so I, I'd say episode C comic B plus. Uh, I think comics an A. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's funny. We've talked about this before that uh, that the podcast of us talking about because we do our research and viewing separate. Yeah. And so because ne- because if we if we watch together. Yeah. We don't have these conversations. Exactly. And exactly. so it's like. Well, we do, and they're off air. 
Right. And then we forget about them. Once exactly. The show. Um, but I just think it's really interesting that there's been a few episodes and a few comics mm-hmm. that I like more after we talk about it. Yeah. I th- I felt the same way. Right. Yeah. So thank you. So <laughs> uh, what do we have next time? Do you know, next time we have season four, episode 11 split personality from vault of horror. Number, number 30. 30. Yes. Finally, Finally, a horror that, story. <laughs> yes. And we might have some t- stuff to talk about split personalities. Yeah. Oh, nice. They're not real. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they might not be real anyway. So until then we have things like social media. We do. You can catch me on Twitter or X uh, at horror. Ryan. Yeah. X going to give it to you. Fuck it. Can keep it. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter. Cause fuck that's fuck that sh- X shit. It's so, so stupid. Dumb. Uh, under Mr. Spooky Bruce. Uh, you can also find me as uh, spooky Bruce. I think on, no, no, you can find me as killer B on blue sky. Nice. And sociology Bruce at uh, threads, which are these two Twitter colors. Oh, you you gotta, you gotta start the podcast on threads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Oh, no, actually, uh, I don't do the Instagram. You have to do it because it's through Instagram. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, all right. And anyway, uh, and we have an email address. You can't. I think. Well, yes. you can catch us on Twitter, on X, Twitter, on, Instagram, yeah, Instagram, Facebook. Yes. Uh, Crypt Keepers Pod. Yes. And their email address is Crypt Keepers Show at the gmail.com. If you like what you heard today, leave a rating and review on the podcast app of your choice and share it with a friend. R.I.P. Paul Rubens. Oh, man. Yeah. R.I.P. Terry Funk. Oh, shit. Yeah. Happy birthday, Natalie. Happy birthday, Natalie. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, (laughs) see you soon. See you soon, kitties. kitties.